Hi, this is Dr. Cameron Thompson, and you're listening to the Marchese di Carabas podcast. I wanted to share with you the preface and the first couple of chapters of the original Benedict Option guidebook, Benedict of Nursia's own rules for living Christian community in a post-Christian society, just to give you a sense of what St. Benedict himself actually has to say to our day and age on how to live properly, how to live right, how to live well, essentially. And this, as I mentioned in previous episode, uh, entails for Christian life entails community. This entails a life centered around, uh, centered around the worship of God, and then all the very practical details that flow from that. But just to give you a sense of what uh, Benedict has to say, how this fits in with the Benedict Option, and what the relationship is today to our lives today, and how it's somewhat related to, or essentially how it is related uh, to the quest that I personally am on at this moment in these days. I wanted to share this with you. So without further ado, here is the preface and first two chapters of the original Benedict Option guidebook, Benedict of Nursia's own rules for living Christian community in a post-Christian society. The preface, what is the Benedict Option? When Rod Dreher published his book, The Benedict Option, A Strategy for Christians in a Post-Christian Nation, in 2017, he had already been speaking about the concept of the Benedict Option, or Benop for short, for a number of years. Dreher's original articulation of the Benedict Option took its inspiration not only from the 6th century holy monk from Nursia, Italy, but also in part from the highly influential work of Alistair MacIntyre after Virtue. After Macint- both, excuse me, both McIntyre and Dreher, and many others in between and since, have called out the fact that modern society in the secular global West is no longer conducive to the Christian way of life in any meaningful sense of the term, and that this has in fact been the case for quite some time. And I might point out here that Master McIntyre was writing this in the 1980s. Dreher describes the essence of the Benedict Option as referring to, quote, Christians in the contemporary West who cease to identify the continuation of civility and moral community with the maintenance of American empire, and who therefore are keen to construct local forms of community as loci of Christian resistance against what that empire represents. End quote. The key takeaway takeaway of McIntyre can be summed up where he says, What Benedict and his monks set themselves to achieve was the construction of new forms of community within which the moral life could be sustained so that morality and civility might survive the coming ages of barbarism and darkness. If my account of our moral condition is correct, then we ought to conclude that for some time now we too have reached that turning point. What matters at this stage is the construction of local forms of community within which civility and intellectual and moral life can be sustained through the new dark ages which are in fact already upon us. This time, however, the barbarians are not waiting beyond the frontiers. They have already been governing us for quite some time. And it is our lack of consciousness of this fact that constitutes part of our predicament. We are waiting not for Godot, but for another, doubtless very different, St. Benedict. End quote. 
So how would we characterize just what this way of St. Benedict looks like? St. John Henry Newman poetically described how St. Benedict found the world, physical and social, in ruins. And his mission was to restore it in the way not of science, but of nature. It was a restoration rather than a visitation, correction, or conversion. Silent men were observed about the country, or discovered in the forest, digging, clearing, and building. And other silent men, not seen, were sitting in the cold cloister, tiring their eyes and keeping their attention on the page, while they painfully copied and recopied the manuscripts which they had saved. By degrees, the woody swamp became a hermitage, a religious house, a farm, an abbey, a village, a seminary, a school of learning, and a city. Our Current Precarious Predicament The eminent anthropologist of Christian history, Christopher Dawson, rightly points out that Christianity is an all-embracing system, such that everything pertains to the presence of God, and all aspects of human life and culture are called to be elevated to the divine life God has created us for. This truth shines forth very clearly in the writings of St. Benedict. Increasingly in competition with Christianity, as Dawson continues, the modern politico-socioeconomic machine is by its very nature totalitarian, and this is why Christians find themselves faced not only with a society that is no longer conducive to Christian life, but one where it is increasingly difficult, often impossible, to live as a Christian at all while remaining embedded within these socioeconomic structures of their very nature incompatible with living the gospel. Such, then, is our predicament. The individual Christian cannot survive as an individual. Each person needs community, or they will perish, at least spiritually. Many, maybe you experience this firsthand yourself, are already going through life in the continual agony of spiritually languishing, barely holding on to faith, let alone any semblance of participating in a lived Christian culture in regular practice in their day-to-day -day lives. Our call to action. Cultural memory is the life source of a people and of individual persons. McIntyre points out that by our very nature as human beings, you are able to know what you should do only if you first know intimately what story or stories you are a part of. This cultural memory, however, is not something like book knowledge nor abstract awareness but is fundamentally a lived experience, something in which you can become an active participant, and as such can only be lived in concrete, tangible communities, communities of Christian practices. Moreover, such communities must themselves be rooted deeply in the Christian tradition. Communities detached from these deep roots of authentic tradition simply will not weather the storm, for only deep roots are not reached by the frost. I cannot emphasize enough the importance of this fact for those situations where active persecution and soft totalitarianism threaten to extinguish Christian life entirely. It is not a matter of circling the wagons to flee from persecution. It is a matter of rooting yourself in the stability of practicing Christian communities so that you have the strength of faith and lived relationship with Christ our God to remain faithful in daily life and in the face of whatever may come. Without this embeddedness in communities of Christian praxis, your Christianity simply will not survive.
But this is not only about strengthening yourself to live not by lies and resist totalitarianism, whether of the hard or soft variety, but the simple fact that Christianity is by nature communitarian and ecclesial, not not individualistic. The Lone Ranger spiritual gunslinger for Jesus fantasy is an ideal of the Americanist religion, but it is certainly not a Christian one. The true Christian hero, the saint, is inseparable from the Christian community of which he or she is a part, a member of the greater body of Christ. And so, if you haven't yet picked up on it, let this be your call to action. Go seek out and cultivate new forms of living, tangible, local Christian community. The Benedict Option was proposed by Rod Dreher as a strategy for Christians living in a post-Christian world, but that strategy has been around for over 1,500 years, and there are great models to follow and learn from, not least of all, the original monk from 6th century central Italy, from whom the Benedict Option takes its name. This book you right now hold in your hands is the original guidebook, the OG, if you will, from Benedict himself, giving us timeless wisdom on how to live this out. Let us be bold and follow where Christ our Master is leading us, and, following this way, we will come to the wellsprings of new and everlasting life. Chapter 1. Your Calling Listen, my child, to the teachings of the Master, and incline the ear of your heart. Receive freely and carry out effectively your loving Father's instructions, that by the labor of obedience you may return to him whom you have fallen away from through the idleness of disobedience. To you, therefore, my words are now directed, who are renouncing your own whims to do battle under the Lord Christ, the true King, by taking up the strong, bright weapons of obedience. In the first place, whatever good thing you begin to do, beg of him with most earnest prayer to perfect it, so that he who has counted us worthy to be his sons and daughters need never be grieved by our wrongdoing. For we must always serve him with the good things that he has given us, that he should never as an angry father disinherit his children, nor ever as a dreadful master, provoked by our wrongdoing, hand us over to everlasting punishment as wicked servants who shrank away from following him to glory. Let us then arise at once, for Scripture stirs us up by saying, It is now the hour for us to rise from sleep, and opening our eyes to the deifying light, let us hear with attentive ears the warning that the divine voice cries daily to us, saying, If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And again, he that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And what does he say? Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Run while you have the light of life, lest the darkness of death overtake you. Chapter 1, Commentary Let us listen and be attentive to the way of our fathers before us in faith, the sure way that they have trod for millennia on the path to salvation and the light of the world. Benedict is calling us here to listen with the ears of our heart to what we know in our heart to be true, even if we cannot reason why or calculate out how we shall do it. You will see in what follows throughout the book that he doesn't leave us to figure it out for ourselves. Indeed, we cannot do that, as it would mean too much reliance on ourselves and our own egos. Rather, he will show us the clear way to turn back to God and the simple instructions for how to restore Christian culture, 
first in ourselves and in our concrete communities of fellow Christians, and in this way laying the foundations for a new and brighter civilization, just as the Benedictine way has always done. We are here with Benedict under the banner of Christ because we must, to do this well, renounce our own whims, our own preferences and willfulness, and do battle using the noble weapons of obedience to one higher than ourselves, higher than any cause we may individually have. The greatest danger we face in this endeavor is not from external persecution, nor even soft totalitarianism from outside, but rather from our own fear of greatness, fear the mind-killer, that internal saboteur who is our own smallness of heart and reluctance to follow our king to glory. You have felt the call. You have come to recognize, to some degree, the urgency of our situation. That is why you are here reading this. The biggest risk you face is to let it stop there and fall back into a false sense of security, to shrink away and live as though dead to God in hardness of heart. Benedict reminds us that we must strike while the iron of our hearts is hot and run forward while we have yet the light of life within us. So strive forward for what lies ahead. Keep your eyes on the goal and do not succumb to the darkness of soul that would lull you back into the torpor of complacency with the world and its ways. Chapter 2. The Way of Life And the Lord, seeking his laborer in the multitude to whom he cries out, says again, Who is the person that would have life and desires to see good days? If hearing this, you reply, I am. God says to you, If you would have true and everlasting life, let your tongue speak no evil and your lips speak no deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek after peace and pursue it. And when you have done all this, my eyes shall be upon you, and my ears open to your prayers. And before ever you call upon me, I will say to you, Behold, here I am. What can be sweeter to us than this, this voice of the Lord inviting us? See, in his loving kindness the Lord shows us the way of life. Therefore, having our loins girt with faith and the performance of good works, let us walk in his ways under the guidance of the gospel, that we may be found worthy of seeing him who has called us to his kingdom. For if we desire to dwell within his tent of his kingdom, we must run to it through acts of good, or we shall never reach it. But let us with the prophet ask the Lord, saying, Lord, who shall dwell on your tent? or who shall rest on your holy mountain? After this question, let us listen to the Lord answering and showing us the way to his tent, saying, The one who walks without stain and practices justice, who speaks truth from his heart, who has not used his tongue for deceit, who has done no evil to his neighbor, who does not slander his neighbor. This is the one who, in any temptation from the malicious devil, has brought it to nothing by casting the devil and his temptation out of the sight of his heart, and has laid hold of his thoughts while they were still small, and has dashed them against Christ. These are the ones who, fearing the Lord, are not puffed up by their own good works, but holding that the good works in them cannot be done by them alone, 
but rather is done by the Lord through them. They magnify the Lord working in them, saying with the prophet, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give the glory. Hence the Lord says in the gospel, Whoever hears these words of mine and does them shall be like a wise man who built his house upon rock. And when the floods came and the winds blew and they beat upon that house, it did not fall, for it was founded upon a rock. Having asked the Lord who shall dwell in his tent, and having heard his commands for any who would dwell there, if we desire, if we fulfill these duties, we shall be heirs of the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, our hearts and our bodies must be prepared to do battle under holy obedience to his commands, and for that which our nature finds barely possible to do, let us ask the Lord that he will help us with his grace to accomplish. Chapter 2 Commentary Here Benedict identifies for us just what is the way of life entailed by the Benedict Option. What are we even called to do? How are we to live? And practically speaking, how are we to go about doing it? It's beautiful. Benedict teaches us, first, the principle and foundation for our work, without which nothing else is possible and all else is doomed to fail. That is, we must, each and every one of us who would take up the Benedict Option, and cooperatively together within our respective communities, first and foremost, seek God. The call starts with a very simple reminder of why we are exploring, or even living, the Benedict Option in the first place. The simple reason that we would have life and desire to see good days. And so Benedict answers us with the words of God himself, telling us the very simple thing we must do if we would seek after true and everlasting life. Let your tongue speak no evil, and your lips speak no deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek after peace and pursue it. The requirements for admission to dwelling in the tent of the Lord are indeed a tall order for us, that in every aspect of our endeavor we must never depart from God's requirement that we walk without stain and practice justice, speak the truth from our heart, in other words, to live not by lies, Use not our tongue for deceit, do no evil to our neighbor, nor slander our neighbor, and we must maintain a continual awareness in the depths of our being that the Benedict Option isn't our own work, but is God's work of good for us and through us. The moral and religious duties Benedict identifies here are really quite simple, and if we carry them out truly, we will already be dwelling in the kingdom of God. But to truly do so requires us to battle with the demons and temptations of our own fallen nature, and so we must be prepared to do battle under obedience to the Lord. St. Benedict, the holy teacher, shows us here the, the sure way that has guided our Christian forebears for the last 1,500 years. Once again, thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this preview of the original Benedict Option guidebook. 
Benedict of Nursia's own rules for living Christian community in a post-Christian society. And I hope it gives you a good sense of what the book is all about, what Benedict himself has to say, and how we can apply it to our everyday lives. The book is available wherever books are sold, and for the quick and convenient-minded, it is available on Amazon.com around the U.S. market and all Amazon markets globally. You can find the link in the show notes, and I'd really appreciate if you went and got a copy. I think you might find it helpful in applying in your own life. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Marchese di Carabas podcast.